Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're finishing up in chapter 11 of Revelation, where we began to dig in with the two witnesses, their role, and the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Do you see how Daniel doesn't just recognize or call for the repentance of others? He, he includes himself in his prayers. He personally identifies with their guilt and their need of God's forgiveness. Now, was Daniel as guilty as they were? Of course not. We know he wasn't. He, he lived a righteous life. Daniel was a truly righteous man. We find nothing derogatory about him at all in the scriptures. But it is not a matter of being less guilty than someone else. But it's the recognition that we're all guilty regardless of how righteous a life we might be living. We've all sinned against God in some way. We all fall short of the glory of God, even on our best day. And it's a humble recognition that in God's eyes, sin is sin. Sin is sin. It's, it's, it's not a matter of degree. It's a matter of sin in any form. And thus, sin needs to be repented of by all of us. As such, Daniel included himself in such prayers for his people. I think as I was reading that prayer, I was thinking to myself, you know, I wonder what difference it would make in our own nation if, if instead of just turning on the news and pointing our finger at those people, that group, those whatever, and started falling on our knees and praying like this with our own identification, with our own sins in our own lives, with the country in which we live, what difference it would make but we spend so much time on everybody else and so little on ourselves. But when these two witnesses come in this day, they're going to identify themselves with the sins of the people in this totally godless world as they preach repentance to them. And they will also identify themselves with the sinful people of their day in order to set the example of the need for repentance for people to follow. Are you and I doing that? Are we, are we, just praying for the sins of others or, or are we praying for ourselves as well? I hope that, that that's not what you're doing, praying just for others, but that you're identifying and praying as well because none of us are perfect enough not to warrant repentance in our own lives even as we minister powerfully for God, even as we live the righteous lives that Christ has covered us with. We, 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 Daniel says, and so should be the case for us. Amen. Fourth, verse four tells us these two witnesses will have a unique and continual flowing empowerment of the Holy Spirit in their ministry. Note that these men are identified in this verse as the two olive trees and two lamps. They're, they're connected to this, the two olive trees and two lamps. And that's a reference to something that's found in the book of Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter four, beginning in verse one, it tells us this. Zechariah 4 and verse 1, Now the angel who talked with me came back and wakened me as a man who is wakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I am looking, and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it, and on the stand seven lamps with seven pipes to the seven lamps. Two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me, saying, What are these, my lord? 
Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he answered and said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain, and he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of grace, grace to it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this temple. His hands shall also finish it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For who has despised the day of small things? For these seven rejoice to see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. They are the eyes of the Lord which scan to and fro throughout the whole earth. And I answered and said to him, What are these two olive trees? At the right of the lamp stand it at its left. And I further answered and said to him, What are these two olive branches that drip into the receptacles of the two gold pipes from which the golden oil drains? Then he answered me and said, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my Lord. So he said, These are the two anointed ones who stand beside the Lord of the whole earth. You see, this passage from Zechariah had its first application to to two men in Zechariah's day, a guy by the name of Joshua and a guy by the name of Zerubbabel. And then the Joshua, not to be confused with the Joshua you think of at Jericho, but a different Joshua. And here in Zechariah, these two men, Joshua and Zerubbabel, they were raised up to be lampstand or witnesses for God, lights for him. That's the implication. And they were empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is what the olive oil represents. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And in similar manner, we're being told here in Revelation chapter 11 that these two witnesses, when they come, they'll be called of God's to be lights in their world, and they'll be fueled by the oil that'll be flowing from the spiritual olive tree, representative of the Holy Spirit in their lives as they execute their prophetic ministry for him. Now here in Zechariah, the oil lamps are filled directly from the olive trees with, with pipe, oil rights, piping oil right straight into the lamp, speaking of the abundance and the continual flow, never-ending flow, just continually moving out of the spirit into the lives of Joshua and Zerubbabel. And in the same way, these two witnesses will experience an abundant and a continual flow of the Holy Spirit in their lives as they fulfill their ministry callings for the Lord. In other words, they'll be con- continually filled with and their perfect ministries will flow out of the abundant empowerment of the Holy Spirit who will be working through them. It's all symbolic language that's speaking clearly of that. And by the way, when you say, well, how do I know what's symbolism and what's not? Well, this one's an easy one, right? Because we went back to the original source of who the reference was to, to these guys. And we know that's what it's speaking of there. So it's speaking about it for these guys. Now, again, as we think about that, this is what God offers to give each and every one of us as we serve him. The illustration from Zechariah now being seen in the lives of these two mysterious witnesses are pictures, not just of, of, of the future, but, it, but it's a picture of what our lives in Christ are meant to be. This is, this is what our lives should be. If we're going to be his powerful witnesses in this world, then two things must happen. We must first have something to witness about, which we do, right? We, we have to have that personal encounter with Jesus Christ, which you have, if you place your faith in him, you've had that encounter with Jesus and you have good news to share with people just from your own life. I can testify of what Jesus has done for me. I can testify of his work on the cross for me. I can testify of the blessing of knowing him each and every day of my life and the insurance that I have, not the insurance, the assurance, that I have that too, I guess, but the assurance of eternal life as a result. 
So we have to have first have something to witness about, which he's given us if you're in faith in Christ. But we also have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to bring forth those things that we have to bring forth to be witnesses of him. We need the overpowering, the overflowing presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And like Joshua, like Zerubbabel, like the disciples at Pentecost, and like these two witnesses here in Revelation, we need the continual flow of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And in light of that truth, let me ask you a very important question this morning. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I don't mean do you have the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're in Christ, His Spirit is already in you, despite what some groups within Christianity would teach. Some will tell you that until you're baptized, you really don't have the Spirit of Christ. Well, that flies against the truth of the Scriptures, where we're told that if you don't have the Spirit, you don't have life. You don't have Christ. Because the moment we place our faith in Christ, we receive his spirit. But what I mean is, have you been baptized by his spirit? Have you yielded your life to the overflowing, inward and outwardly empowering relationship that the spirit of God wants to have with you in your life? I've often taught this to you, but the scriptures give us three different relationships of the Holy Spirit to our lives. The first of those two relationships are found in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. John 14, verses 16 and 17, which says this, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, first note that there's the relationship of the Spirit with us. He's with us. Jesus says in verse 17, but you know him for he dwells with you. The word in the Greek is the word para. Para literally means with or better phrase to come alongside of. And we've heard the word paraclete, right? Or parakletos, to come alongside of. And that's the relationship that the Holy Spirit has with us before we come to faith in Christ. He's with us in the sense that he's always there trying to lead us, trying to lead us to salvation, moving us towards salvation, at work in our lives, doing everything he can to bring us to faith in Christ. I look back over my life. Some of you have that same experience. Now that you look back, having come to faith in Christ, you see all these significant events that happened. All of these people that came in and out of your life, things that the Lord was orchestrating and moving on to lead you to that place where you could then make a decision as to whether or not you would follow or not. That's the work of the Spirit. It's what he does in this world. That, that sense of conviction of sin that you first had when it first impacted you, you know? Maybe you grew up like I did thinking everything was okay, but down inside something was eating away at your soul, saying everything is not okay. You're not as good as you think you are. Do you know where that was coming from? That was coming from that with relationship of the Holy Spirit because we're told elsewhere that the Spirit's mission and role is to convict the world of sin, and he does that in our lives. It's the first step that really gets us moving on this path towards faith in Christ. But then second in that verse, note that there's a relationship of the Spirit in us. Jesus goes on in verse 17, he says, For he dwells with you and will be in you. The word here in the Greek is the word en. en. It literally means to be in or within something. 
This is the relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit when we come to faith in Christ. He takes up residence within us. It's the relationship the disciples came to know in John 20, verse 22, where we're told, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. In that moment, when the disciples had fully placed their faith in Jesus, he imparted his spirit to take up residence within them. But then third, there's also the overflowing relationship of the Spirit with us. Acts 1.8 describes that relationship. Here's what Acts 1.8 says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Prior to this moment, the Spirit had been with them and he had been in them, but in this moment, the Spirit came upon them. The word upon in the Greek is the word epi. It literally means to come over something. It's sort of in an overflowing way. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is all about. It's not about getting the Spirit. It's about the Holy Spirit who is already resident in you, being given an open door to rise up from within and to overpower and overflow your life. You know, a number of years ago when I taught this, the greatest illustration, and I saw it taught elsewhere, and I thought it was absolutely the best picture we have out of it is that glass of water. The glass isn't half full until this moment because the moment you placed your faith in Christ, the water that was in the pitcher suddenly went within you and filled the glass to the very top. But Acts 1.8 describes that pitcher continually flowing and that water that's already up to the brim on that glass. Guess what begins to happen as more of that water flows in? The water just continues to flow over the sides and flow over the sides, you see? Now, that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit's about. Unlike some people, we don't get hung up on the terminology here. I don't get hung up on it. Call it what you like. Call it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Call it the filling of the Spirit. Call it the overflowing of the Spirit. All of these terms rightly describe th- this relationship that the Spirit wants to have with you. But regardless of what you call it, it is a relationship that you and I must willingly open the doors to if we want to be the powerful witnesses in this world that God is calling us to be. Think about the disciples. Before Pentecost, the disciples were, for the most part, what? Timid, fearful, inwardly focused in so many ways. But after the Spirit entered into this overflowing relationship with them on Pentecost, guess what happened? They became powerfully dynamic witnesses for Jesus in the world in which they live. In fact, on the day that the Holy Spirit flowed through their lives, like olive flowing through the lamps in Zechariah's prophecy, some incredibly powerful stuff began to happen. And Peter, just think about Peter. What does he do? He stands up. This is the guy who not long before that had betrayed Jesus was found going back out to fishing. Jesus is trying to restore him. You know, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know, I like you. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know, I like you. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, you know, I like you. Okay, well, feed my sheep. You know, and, and, and yet there was an expectancy of things. They do follow his commands. They do willingly yield themselves to move forward. But in that moment, when the Holy Spirit overflowed, the spirit who was already in Peter's life to the full, but began to overflow him on Pentecost, guess what happens? Peter, an uneducated Galilean, stands up and he preaches a message and 3,000 people are saved. 3,000 people come to Christ. And that's what we need. 
that is exactly what need that that that's the kind of release of the spirit's power in our lives that we need and i would encourage you not to wait a day longer to seek that relationship with the holy spirit if you've not done so and i believe that even jesus modeled that relationship with the spirit for us you might recall in matthew chapter 4 right after jesus submitted to water baptism something that he also did as an example to us right there's a lot of implications to his being baptized but part of it was to set the example for us what happens as he comes up out of that water? The spirit descends. The spirit descends. It tells us in Matthew three sixteen when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. Doesn't that sound familiar to what happened with the disciples on Pentecost? Now, does that mean that Jesus didn't have the Holy Spirit before? Of course not. He's deity. He was God himself in the flesh. He had the fullness of the Spirit in a way you and I will never understand. And yet in that moment, we see this beautiful illustration. Jesus, who clearly had the Spirit of God in him, he had to because he was God, still had the Spirit come upon him like this. Right after being baptized in water, he was in a sense also baptized by the Spirit. And after this happened... Guess what Jesus started to do? That's when his public ministry began. That's when his public ministry began, right after that happened. And, and just as Jesus did with so many other things, he was, again, giving us a demonstration of things that pertain to our lives spiritually, showing us how we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to make us effective witnesses for him. But this is a matter of being willing to yield and it's a matter of being willing to submit yourself to the relationship that God wants to have with you through his Holy Spirit like this. Yes, his spirit is with you. And yes, his spirit is in you. But you have to choose to, to yield yourself to this overflowing relationship that he wants to have with you. And if you've not submitted yourself to that relationship with the spirit, I would encourage you to not withhold yourself any longer. You need this overflowing empowerment of which the Holy Spirit will, will bring to your life to be that powerful servant, that powerful witness that God desires for you to be in this era of history in which he's appointed for you and me to live. How do you enter in that relationship? Well, not through all the crazy and hyper-spiritual kind of formulas and rituals that seem to be perpetuated in particular in American Christianity, American kind of thinking. But much of, of the stuff that we, we see going on associated with this, it, it doesn't even line up with the simplicity of what the scriptures tell us. Jesus told us how, and he made it really simple. Here's what he said. Luke chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. Luke 11, beginning in verse 9. So I say to you, ask... And it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. If a man asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I love that passage because far too often we quote the first part, ask, it'll be given, seek, you'll find, knock, it'll be open, but we don't see the context. And he's taking you to the context. He says, ask, and I'll give you the spirit, ask. I'll give them to you if you're an unbeliever and you're putting your faith in me, ask, and I'll give them to you. If you're a believer, ask, and I'll pour him out on you just as I did on Acts 1-8 on Pentecost. 
Jesus says, just ask and God will give. No need to hang out at the altar for something spectacular to happen. No need to wait for some specific physical sign to occur. Just ask in simple faith. And God promises you that the overflowing presence of his spirit in your life will come upon you and you'll be able to do the work that he's called for you to do. And by the way, once you've done that, the Bible also says that you're to keep on doing that continually, day upon day upon day upon day. I'd argue minute upon minute, hour upon hour, throughout the day. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.18 says what? Be filled with the Spirit. The tense that he uses in the Greek is a tense which he's commanding that literally means keep on keeping on being filled with the Spirit. Paul is saying that this isn't just a once and, and done thing, but it's really a continual relationship of God's Spirit that, that we're to open our hearts to and ask for an, on an ongoing basis, you see. But make no mistake about it. This is a relationship with His Spirit that God wants to give to us because He knows that we need it to do the work that He has for us. So don't hesitate to ask Him for this. Amen? Now, let me just say this to you. I, I am convinced that in the times in my life when I am, I don't know the word I want to use. I don't want to use less productive for the Lord because that sounds so business-like. But when I'm ineffective for the Lord, I know it's connected to this peace. I know that it's connected to this peace and I'm walking more by my strength than in the promise of the relationship that he's offered to me with his Holy Spirit. There was a particular day in my life that I know, just like I know on salvation, I can't tell you the day or the hour, but, but someone actually led me to this relationship with the Holy Spirit. They told me the exact same thing. You've got the Spirit in you, but you know what? There's a lot of carnality to your life. And actually it was a girl. <laughs> and she said, there's a lot of carnality in your life. She said, do you know what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is? And I was kind of like, no, oh, what is that? She started to describe it to me. And she said, you interested? I said, does the Bible tell me I should have it? Yes, yes, sign me up. And I did that night. I just yielded my heart in prayer to the Lord and just said, Lord, I ask. I want, I want to know that relationship with your spirit. I want to be empowered in such a way that each and every day, each and every moment, Lord, I'd be infected for you. I'd be effective. That, that the stuff in my life that, that I just can't get a handle on, the, the, the carnality, the things that my mind will drift to, the, the things that I'd rather do will just fade because I'm so overwhelmed by the presence of your spirit in my life. And I prayed that prayer. And I know that that happened. But I also know as the years go by and I engage in things, sometimes my way of doing things creeps back in. Yeah, I got to run back to that altar in my heart. And just ask again. And now it's to the point where from the moment I wake up, I used to always say, the moment you get up, you should be asking them, overflow me with your spirit again today. Baptize me anew today. Can I say to you that I was wrong in saying that? You ought to be saying it as soon as you get up. You ought to say it as soon as you eat breakfast. You ought to say it as soon as you get your car. You ought to just keep on asking them, Lord, just keep on filling me. Keep on overflowing me, Lord. I just want to be like that, 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 that vessel, Lord, through who the oil is just flowing flowing upon continually and overflowing so that I can be a lampstand in the generation in which I live. I hope this brings a balance to your understanding of these things because I do believe that there's an awful lot of confusion when it comes to this. And so many people are afraid of this because of all the crazy nonsense that they see. The crazy nonsense they see isn't because the gifts aren't for today or any of that, but it's because of the distorted way that they've approached this. 
the out of balance way that they approached this. And, and might I say to you also, look again in your scriptures when you see the disciples. I mentioned it with Jesus as well, but when the spirit came upon them, where did their focus go? It went out. Their focus was external to themselves. Before that happened, the focus was internal. What we often see in the crazy stuff associated with this is an internal focus. It's about me. It's about how I feel. It's about my, what's happening with me. It's about this, I'm the center of it all. The true baptism of the Holy Spirit takes the focus off of you and puts it out there in a way that you will never understand apart from the Spirit doing this work in your life. Suddenly people are being saved. Suddenly it's not about the music or the lights or the smoke or the gifts. Even with the gifts, it's not about those things. Those things might flow. The gifts might flow as you go about your work for the Lord, as he gives you those tools for ministry in serving people and reaching people. But ultimately it won't matter to you. Those won't be your focus. What will be your focus is being that powerful witness that God has raised you up to be, that powerful certain servant that has raised you up to be. I often read to you guys, and I didn't put it in here this time, but I often read to you just, you know, uh, that, that, that prayer that Moody prayed, you know, for this empowerment, knowing that this had to happen. He couldn't serve him without it. You see, these, these guys in that day, they're going to have a special calling, but you do too. You do too. So as you look at them, don't just think about them. Think about what the Lord has placed you here for to do and what you need to accomplish that. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.